This is another episode of The Builder's Diary by Clodonaut. The Builder's Diary is about getting insights into the day-to-day -day challenges of builders. My name is Andreas, and in this episode, Florian Dröge and Lars Hüper from our partner TechRacer share with us what they have learned about developing complex serverless applications in a team. So first of all, I want to introduce Florian Dröge. Uh, he came into contact with the cloud as a working student developing a web application on Azure. Then, after graduating with a master degree in computer science, he joined TechRacer as a cloud consultant. And Florian is really into clean code and thus well-thought structure and architecture is very important to him. I also want to welcome Lars Hüper to the show. He has been turning business requirements into code for almost 25 years. He enables teams to develop software the agile way. And Lars joined TechRacer really in the early days of the company back in uh, 2001. So together, Florian and Lars uh, design and build serverless applications together with a team of software engineers and cloud architects at TechRacer. So welcome to the show, Lars and Florian. Nice to have you. Nice to nice see to you, Andreas. <laughs> Great. So I'm excited to have you here. I'm even more excited about the topic serverless uh, applications in a more complex environment together with a team. So I'm really uh, keen to learn about uh, what you've been going through in the past years. Um, before we start, I want to highlight one more thing. So TechRacer is hiring cloud consultants focusing on AWS serverless development. So exactly the topic that we're talking about today. So if you are excited about um, building serverless apps, um, you should definitely check out the job description. You will find all the details in the show notes. Okay, so now uh, it's time to really dive into the topic. So um, when developing serverless applications, it looks very easy at the beginning. If you read through the blog posts and some examples, it looks really um, easy to do. But then if you dive in more complex projects, you sooner or later realize that there is a lot <laughs> to consider and to, um, yeah, to think about. So Lars, the first question uh, for you is, could you maybe take us on a journey? What does a typical serverless project at TechRacer look like, if there is a typical project? <laughs> or at least maybe uh, take us on a, a trip to one of your projects. Yeah, so um, to be honest, I, I would say there is not a typical serverless project. <laughs> and, and even in serverless, we have learned um, over the past two years that serverless is uh, an even wider topic than the thing that we are doing because we are doing software development or development of software applications and we use serverless especially aws serverless to implement those applications i think we can um, separate different kinds of projects so there there are these uh, um, yeah, let's say i have uh, Lotus Domino uh, database or Microsoft Access database, and I want uh, to get rid of that and to bring it to a modern platform. So that, from my point of view, is a 10 to 20 days project. And uh, for that, we have uh, uh, good patterns to, to quickly get those things done. Um, and that is, would be where I would say that are for us the easy projects. Yeah, and 
And the more challenging projects are the ones that uh, where you see, okay, this is going to be a big thing. The, the domain ex itself is quite complex. And <clears throat> um, I have in mind a special project where uh, on top we we saw or it was definitely clear that we have to develop something that is robust and maintainable for the next decades yeah uh, because the topic um, the project was about a company pension scheme so and immediately you you um, realize that uh, uh, okay today we are implementing a feature where people can uh, put some portion of their salary into their pension scheme but um, it is clear that they will do this for the next uh, 20 30 or 40 years and what comes then yeah so and and i think that's the one of the m most challenging things on those kind of projects to always have in mind um, this project is not over after one year or so yeah, this mm. application will have to run for a very, very long time. And developers that come after us uh, into that project should be able to get into it. I would not say easily, but <laughs> as a good developer, it should be possible with reasonable effort. And they should be able to modify and keep on adding new features to that applications over a very long time period. Okay, so what I get from that is uh, at TechRacer, you're not only doing the typical POC project, building a quick serverless solution to showcase something, but you are also in really building solution that last and you're using serverless technologies to achieve that. Yeah. Okay, that sounds very impressive because I think most of what I have been doing as a consultant so far is just to build very quick and dirty a solution to showcase this works on AWS, which is a totally different story, of course, than building a system that is there to last for, I don't know, 20 years, which is, <laughs> which seems quite, um, a, quite a challenge. Okay. Uh, very cool. So, um, Florian, um, so, uh, Lars has described the setup or the scenarios uh, that you operate in, in your projects. My question for you is, um, probably there's also no typical serverless stack, but um, could you share um, one of the serverless tech stacks that you have been using in a project recently? So um, our team is focusing mainly on uh, development with TypeScript and the cloud development kit CDK. One reason for this is because we don't only build backend. Uh, sometimes uh, we have to build one or multiple front ends too. In our team, we have people who focus on back-end or front-end development, but um, there isn't always a front-end or there isn't always in every sprint uh, something to do in back-end and front-end. So since everyone can uh, knows TypeScript, um, they can work in front-end and back-end too, and uh, works with CDK for the infrastructure fine as well. So we have TypeScript all the way through in the infrastructure code, um, the runtime code in the back end and the front end, if there is any. And services we normally use are, well, the classics one for serverless in AWS, like uh, Lambda, DynamoDB, S3, SNS. Recently, uh, we're looking more into serverless Aurora and uh, so on. We maintain, maintain those applications for a longer period of time. So we, um, for, uh, for us, 
the topic monitoring our uh, applications, uh, especially such a distributed application, uh, is a big topic for us. Okay, okay, that sounds that sounds really cool. So um, uh, let me recap that. So the serverless tech stack is so the important parts are TypeScript and the CDK. You're using the classic serverless uh, services, and I think one thing that I already um, get from what you explained is. Um, it seems also you're already going the event-driven architecture way. Um, so you you mentioned EventBridge and and SNS and stuff. So I think that's definitely something we should uh, talk about later as well. Um, uh, so thanks for for sharing that. So um, so Lars, when you do a serverless project in a more complex domain, so what are your approaches to really basically? I said that at the introduction, translate the business requirements into something that actually runs on AWS, so code and infrastructure. So what are your um, approaches? Um, how do you tackle that? One thing that we experienced quite often, project started, the team was lacking senior developers. Um, but they were mostly, uh, they had a lot of information about uh, or knowledge about uh, the AWS cloud and, and the services. Yeah, but uh, exactly. the basics of uh, development yeah. were lacking. Yeah. So, so the team was technically um, they were they were highly skilled. Yeah, they they were uh, very confident about uh, uh, which is AWS services to use and how to use them, but they were focusing on getting quick results. Yeah. So like you said in the introduction POC, yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, customer came with requirements and and they immediately targeted how to get it into something visible. To make it even worse, also the customer was yeah pre prescribing um, in some way the solution. Yeah. So while mm -hmm. we learned from software development um, that it's better as a customer to describe your problem you want to get solved and then discuss with your development team what could be a solution for this problem and also for the development team to understand the why. What is the pain point with this? How are you doing it today and why should why do you want to change it? Yeah, what is the, the thing that, that should be better afterwards uh, to understand those things? And so first thing, customer did not come with problem description, but with already predefined, I want this feature and I want to enter this number and uh, want to see that result or something like that. And developers who were also um, <clears throat> um, yeah, aiming to, to get this thing uh, visible quite quickly. And the approach that we are using um, is we yeah, we push the brake a little bit at the beginning of such a project and say, stop. First, we want to understand your business. Yeah. And, and, and we want to develop together with you the domain of what are we doing here? Yeah. What is the, the domain? Where are the boundaries? What are the things that we are not solving or that we will not implement in, in our app? And of course, when coming to the features, also to understand why do we need this feature? What problem does it solve? And finally, at the end, to know which features are the most important ones and which are not so important. So to see, to, to be sure when we get to the end of the budget that we have at least the important things implemented. <laughs> <laughs> that is That was an experience for me 
where I where I saw or where I learned, okay, serverless development is a very new stuff and I think every developer loves it. Traveling to a customer's um, data center and uh, to to <laughs> to install something on a machine yeah, in, in that data center and then being back in the office and getting a call, hey, uh, we think there is something missing or there is some something is not working as expected and so well, um so that's re really cool and also uh, the building blocks that aws offers for us is um i think it's it makes every developer happy but this has to come together or be brought together with experience in developing applications and when you bring those competencies together the the people who have been developing software applications over a long period, um, even before AWS serverless came up. And the, the people, the developers who know which services uh, to use for what and how to instrument them, then I think you, you get a very good solution um, out of that. Coming so back to your question, what is the approach? Yeah, <laughs> first understanding the domain, um, working with the customer, we do. Uh, we decided uh, in this project to use a domain-driven approach. So uh, we started with an event storming session and discovered a lot of things. Yeah. So what happens in your process and uh, how is it done today? Yeah. Always to understand how are you doing it without the application to know. Okay, what is the thing that the application should do afterwards? And yeah, that's the first thing. And then we implement that stuff. And the challenging thing on this approach is also that um, you have to go back to this event storming session from time to time, periodically, while customers often think, okay, we have to do this once. Uh, we do it at the beginning of a project. We spend one day or several days in workshops with that. And then we have everything yeah and then the development team can start but in the ideal process it's not like that so from time to time and right now after working two yeah for two years with this domain model we have come to a point where we have the understanding that okay it's necessary to go back to that big picture and to see what have, do we have to extend and what new things have we discovered how do we have to modify it? So I can I can feel that urge of developers in a project. So as they have all the building blocks available, you as a developer really want to get started as quickly as possible and implement a solution. But as you mentioned, if you're not diving into the details of your domain before that and discuss with your customer the details of basically the business and the problem that you're trying to solve, um, you can end up in a situation where you have a shiny serverless architecture but you totally forgot about uh, the, the the domain and the, the business, uh, and then it's hard to get everything in, and you're ending up with a um, yeah with a huge um, complex system. So I think what you are highlighting here is um, to to apply the the technology or the, the approaches that we have in software engineering um, is really important in serverless projects as well. And of course, then it helps to have a senior developer in the team that has experience with translating those business requirements into uh, systems and into code. 
um, because that's that's basically a thing that is still in high demand, even if you have those serverless building blocks, right? So it's important. Yeah. And so I, when I, when I when I when I entered this project uh, and and worked with the team, one of the first things that I told to them is all your uh, logic, your calculations, and and all the things that you are doing with with the pension scheme of an employee, it should all work without spending one thought on AWS. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and once you get that working, then we talk about okay, how do we bring it on Lambda, and where do we persist um, the stuff, Dynamo or Aurora or whatever. Yeah. So, but. Mm -hmm. That was uh, um, one of the first discussions that we had. Yeah. yeah. So, so I have a follow-up question on that. So, so after you really thought up um, through the whole domain and designed your software architecture without thinking about AWS, do you think that also helps to, um, I don't know, migrate parts of that application to other AWS services or maybe even other cloud providers in the future? Because for me, it feels a little bit, if you have your, I don't know, interfaces, your abstraction layers uh, well thought through, it should be, at least in theory, uh, much simpler to move parts or whole parts of that to other services or even other providers. Yeah, I think that's something where Florian can tell something okay. about because I guess it's about uh, building abstractions <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, to to be able to decide in a later point of development, oh, using DynamoDB for this entity was perhaps not a good decision. How can we switch? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Florian. Okay, yeah. Florian, your <laughs> so, turn. <laughs> yeah, so basically uh, uh, we try to follow um, the philosophy of clean architecture uh, pictured by uh, Robert C. Martin. Well, it's uh, basically about you have your uh, core logic and everything else, even persistence or a front-end API stuff on, is uh, on the outside. So it's um, they're all just adapters to your core logic, which can also be layered. Uh, that's the difference between the clean architecture and the hexagonally part. But uh, basically, it's uh, it's about you can change those adapters. And that's the same for our serverless applications. Uh, the core doesn't know that it's serverless. The core logic does not know that it's stored on DynamoDB or in Aurora serverless. And that's not only for uh, good for migrating to another cloud, but uh, also if, uh, if you um, encounter problems with your uh, persistence. Maybe you started out with a DynamoDB because you thought, OK, I know all my uh, access patterns. But uh, after two years, uh, there is a new feature, and uh, suddenly uh, some access patterns uh, change completely. And now you could say, OK, let's move the, uh, this storage to an Aurora serverless uh, database. And um, the core logic stays the same. You just have to change um, the accessors uh, to the persistence. Basically, this, this isn't all new so it's what uh programmers uh talk uh for centuries but um you still <laughs> have to keep this in mind because if you look on examples uh on aws even in documentation they show quick and short examples where you have your handler and in the center they create the document client for dynamodb they uh, create the items they uh, make the parsing all in one function 
but uh, it's hard to maintain uh, stuff like this. So, um, so this clean architecture um, helps you to have basically a, a model in mind um, to to architect your software in a way that it's possible to in yeah, to change some parts of the system, for example, an, an underlying AWS service, without having to rewrite the whole code. That's basically. Uh, in my own words, uh, the summary of, of what you have been describing. I just wanted to add one more, <laughs> because uh, when, we, when we say that, it's uh, it's important for us that just not, uh, just because it's a um, service or a microservice, it, uh, it still has to be modular like this, uh, like uh, according to clean architecture or to the hexagonal architecture, so that uh, in in itself, you can change those parts easily and not only, yeah, I just uh, replaced the whole microservice. Um. Yeah, very good. So, so Florian, we are already in the topic of how a serverless architecture evolves over time. So I've experienced that with, together with Michael, we, are, we have been building Marbot, and, um, which is also a serverless application, and we have um, been replacing services that we have been using over time just because we found out another way to solve the same thing. And I can give you one example. So right now, we are using Kinesis data streams for as basically the event, um, the event bridge or yeah, the, the event bus is the name. And we are now thinking about replacing that maybe with an SQS uh, five hook queue. Um, uh, so and and then to to be able to do that, it's really important that um, that you structured your code and your application in a way that it's easy to do so. <laughs> and I think, um, um, do you have other examples um, from your project where you basically over time uh, realized that some of the things you started with um, should be, or could be replaced with better options, or you just needed to find a solution for something? Well. The capabilities were always there, but our uh, approach for no SQL design, for instance, is one thing that changed. Um, now we would we would prefer kind of single table design. We wouldn't for a complex uh, ap uh, application like pension scheme application. We uh, would not recommend putting everything in one table. Well, it could work, but even for separating some different kinds of data for yeah, audit purposes, uh, makes definitely sense. Lars, you already mentioned uh, the an event-driven architecture. So, you, could you share some insights into the how the project evolved um, from that perspective? So, um, did you start with an event-driven architecture from the beginning, or is that something um, that evolved over time? Yeah. First, let's say why is domain-driven design? Why has it become so popular nowadays? Although the concept is small, uh, is about twenty years old. And one reason is because of the rise of event-driven architectures. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so one decision that we had to make uh, in, uh, also <clears throat> in the beginning was whether we put everything in one code repository or if we split into many different code repositories. And um, so we discussed about the pros and cons, but since um we have we are not uh, we have not several teams working on several parts of the domain we decided okay let's put everything in one repository to benefit from high consistency of your deployments and 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 code bases so but it can lead into a behavior we have learned that <laughs> um where people are developing like when they would develop on a monolithic 
application. They create tight couplings between different lambdas and topics and use, for example, SNS and lambda alike for remote procedure calls hmm. instead of really working event-driven. So, And we recognize that by um, increasing amount of SNS topics in our stacks. And we thought, hey, oof, what are those uh, many SNS topics about? And the names of the topics were mostly like, I want that, <laughs> and I want, and please uh, calculate me that, and please store this stuff for me. Yeah. So um, uh, uh, sending commands over the line where we, where we discovered, okay, this might become a little bit um, difficult in the future or when we continue like that, because every Lambda has to know yeah, there is another Lambda which does this thing for me. Or on the other hand, if you say um, there is a need to recalculate the pension scheme of an em employee, you have to know that it is already there. Yeah, But the event-driven is more uh, to say to the world, hello, in my area, this thing happened, and then um, the, uh, the Lambda, which recalculates your pension scheme, knows, oh, this is relevant for me. I have to recalculate the pension scheme. So this mm. is something that we experience really. And, and I, my hypothesis is that this is due to um, the decision that we have put everything into one repository. Yeah? Mm -hmm. uh, so it, it was kind of trade-off. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's also something that I observe very uh, frequently in projects that I come in. That I think it's also because the remote procedure call approach is maybe what what we all know, <laughs> uh, very, very well known to, and so the event driven, um, really following the event driven approach is I think something you have to get your head around and you need to get into that way of thinking and, about yeah, things. Perhaps so to 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 add one more thing on that, yeah, you know, um, in clean code for example, you learn about how to name your things, your functions, your variables. And one rule of thumb is uh, you can use uh, a short name for your variable when the scope of its usage is very small. Yeah, For example, in a for-while loop, um, uh, using i as the counter is OK <laughs> when the for loop consists of one line of code. Yeah, So it's totally OK. And so the rule is, so the, the longer the distance um, of your declaration and the usage of your variables, the better should be the naming of the variable. And I think um, applying that to the question about how to use SNS and Lambda, I would say it's similar. So inside a very uh, closed and, and uh, coherent scope in itself, you can use command pattern uh, with SNS and Lambda. When you say, I have this very isolated um, uh, subdomain um, where I know um, what things have to be managed and perhaps I have I put one uh, Lambda as an adapter to the outside world, but inside it is the scope uh, of things that are have to be done here is very small. So it's, for me, it's totally okay to push to use SNS to, to push things, commands to lambdas, yeah? And say, hey, please, now do that. I have heard from the outside world that something happened here, and I know you have to do this now, 
Yeah, so it's fully okay, but it is a thing that the development team really needs to be aware of and 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 where they need to discuss. Therefore, not only but also we have a practice that um, uh, before starting to implement something, we discuss yeah, with at least one other developer and at least one senior developer involved um, how we want to solve that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we, we discussed um, uh, different points where your serverless um, architecture evolved over time. Florian, is there anything to add? Any other aspect that, that comes to your mind? Sometimes there are uh, resources in AWS which are used by at least in a lot of uh, modules like a, a, some a central S3 bucket uh, or something like this. And yeah, something that uh, made our lives as the law for easier to use app config for propagating such centralized um, bucket names or something like this instead of um, the environment variables. So, so basically, I, I, you're using app config for let's say global configuration that you need in almost all your Lambda functions and yeah. you're using environment variables for the more specific uh, configuration parameters. Exactly. And the same thing applies to what Lars said. Uh, if it's in your little scope, naming doesn't mm. matter that much. And uh, when the app config uh, grows, you should have a good naming scheme. One thing that comes to my mind, with, because it's also a very quite current topic, is uh, the design of the CDK stacks. We are talking about several thousand AWS resources that we are creating. Mm -hmm. So one stack with a limit of 500 resources is not enough. I would say from today, one thing that we have not spent enough thought on was um, how to maintain the dependencies of the different uh, uh, CloudFormation stacks. Cost us some trouble uh, during deployments to resolve those kinds of dependencies. So when we started out, we we basically uh, used a lot of stacks and um, uh, that caused sometimes problem when you um, remove a dependency which is used in another stack and so on. And we prefer to use fewer stacks and using more nested stacks uh, now and keep things more uh, coupled and together. We try to modularize it more via uh, constructs or uh, nested stacks and not by just separating them in um, different stacks. So the, the funny thing is those um, thinking about how you modularize your CloudFormation stacks. This has been something that I've been struggling from the very beginning when using CloudFormation. And now we have CDK, which is just a layer on top of that. Um, but we still have the same problem <laughs> as you're describing. <laughs> you still have to decide, is this something we want to have loosely coupled so we're just passing the output as an input? Uh, or is it something that really depends on each other? So I think this is really still an issue, of course, because the, the maybe back to the beginning, the, the problem domain, the, the way you structure your microservices or, or the different parts of your application and your system is still relevant. So you th still need to think through that even though you're using CDK as a layer on top that that seems to hide all those um, 
um, yeah, issues from you. So I think that is <laughs> back to that and from the beginning, uh, an important learning exactly, uh, yeah. as well. Okay. So that leads me to, to my last question. So what do you think are the most important reasons for your customers to choose a serverless architect? Uh, is it about costs, utility? What's, what's their main reasons? The um, pension scheme application, for instance, is a good example for this because those applications can be pretty cheap when uh, when you have workloads that aren't that good predictable but most of the time there isn't that much workload on the system and mm -hmm. uh, that's for instance not the case because uh, we have continuously sometimes predictable some imports there are user well they're mostly uh, placed here in germany so uh, over the day they access more uh, most likely the, um, the front-end application part By night, there is uh, less traffic. Okay, in this example, um, I would say it's pretty predictable, but we don't have to think about it. It's just, yeah, it just scales down and uh, and scales up uh, for you. And I would agree yeah. for them. I think agility is really an important thing. So first, not having the need to provision infrastructure. So you save a lot of time being able to start with your project. Um, and second, what I got um, as feedback for many times, um, the immediate visibility of the results. Yeah. So mm -hmm. um, that, I think that are the two things that, that are really a big pro of uh, choosing for the serverless approach. Definitely, definitely. So uh, Florian and Lars, Thanks a lot for all your insights into complex serverless applications and building them together with a team. Um, I want to repeat that there is an open position at TechRacer. So basically, um, you're looking for a future colleague. <laughs> and um, uh, TechRacer is a premier <laughs> AWS consulting partner with offices in Germany, Austria, Portugal and Switzerland. And if you want to join Lars and Florian and develop serverless applications on AWS with Lambda, EventBridge, API Gateway, DynamoDB, and so on, and you are into CDK, Node.js, TypeScript, maybe also Go or Python, then uh, you should definitely check out um, the job description and apply. Thanks a lot, Lars and Florian, for sharing your insights and participating in this show. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having Thank us. Thank you, Andreas. Thank you very much, and thanks for listening.